I love it that a number of times when Karen was talking, I couldn't hear her because there were babies crying. That, that's exactly what we want. And I appreciate that Jenny uh, practices what she preaches over there at, uh, at the PRC. And thank you, ladies, for being with us. Make sure you, you greet these folks here uh, that came with Karen this morning. Uh, in, they'll be in the back and can talk about the work of the PRC and hand you a baby bottle for you to take home and fill with that broccoli and, and other green stuff. I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 1. At the very beginning of your Bible, we're actually going to start in verse 26. We're going to take a one-week break from our study of the Gospel of Matthew today to mark Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. I've felt called for the last couple of weeks to focus specifically on that with today's message Thank you, Karen, for being with us today and sharing with us about the important work of the PRC. We're glad that we've been partnering with you folks for these many, many years. As Karen ended her talk, she said that the PRC has this motto, you matter. We believe, they say, you matter. And by that, they mean that people matter to them. They care about people, both born and pre-born people. People matter to the PRC, but it's more than that. They don't just mean that people matter to them, they mean that people matter to God. That people have intrinsic value, that people have God-given value and worth, that there is a sanctity, a sacredness to human life. Where does that come from? And what does it mean? That's what I want us to think about a little this morning. It's a big, important thing, and like most big, important things, it starts in the first book of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1 introduces us to God and to His creation. In highly stylized, wonderful language, Genesis 1 reveals an awesome God who is indisputably sovereign over His creation. I wish I had time to read the whole thing to you this morning. Go home this afternoon and read Genesis 1, okay? Just... Just bask in it. Genesis 1 tells a beautiful story of God's seven days of designing and implementing His world. Time, space, environment, agriculture, animals. He made them all. And there's a pattern to His story. Like I said, it's highly stylized. God speaks. What He wants happens. He sees that it's good and a day was over. Right? God spoke what He wanted happened. He sees that it's good and a day is over. God speaks what He wants happens. He sees that it's good and a day is over. Six days of creation and then one day of sovereign rest. Today I just want us to go into the sixth day, verses 26 through 31, and ponder together at length one major concept introduced there. There's a lot there. I only want to look at one little thing. On the sixth day, God didn't just say, let there be, and it happened. The pattern breaks. God says, let us make, and then He created. There's a break in the cycle of repetition of chapter 1 as God puts this masterful finishing touch on His masterpiece. The stroke of the artist's brush was what all the other five days of creating had been leading up to. It's as if now God gets personal in His creating And what He makes is us. Let's read Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. I'll be reading from the New International Version of the Bible. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, 
in our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. God blessed them. And said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that He had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Would you pray with me? Father, there's so much there. Many questions about what all does it mean. I pray, Father, You'd help us to concentrate this morning and see what is there in that phrase, in the image of God. Help us to ponder that and and to work through what the Bible says about it and to apply it to our lives today. I pray it in the powerful name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. So it's been a while since we learned any fancy Latin terms. So I've got one for you today. Are you ready? Now I don't know very many fancy Latin terms, but this is an important one that theologians use all the time. Here it is. Imago Dei. Go ahead and say that. Imago Dei. Anybody know what it means? Image of God. Right. Genesis chapter 1 verses 26 and 27 say that you and I were made in the Imago Dei. In the image of God. Turn to the person next to you and say, you have the Imago Dei. Sounds a little romantic, doesn't it? Kind of like a funky perfume. Are you wearing Imago Day? <laughs> what you're really saying, though, is something amazing when you say it. Genesis 1.27, God created man in his own image. The Hebrew there is zelem. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. I want us to ponder today looking at this passage and at other passages throughout the Scripture, the meaning of that phrase, created in the image of God. What is the Imago Dei? And what does it mean for our lives today? Well, to understand what something is, it's often helpful to understand what it is not. So let's start there. The Imago Dei is not physical. It's not physical. When, when verse 26 says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, he's not saying that God had a body with certain physical features that we now have too. Arms and legs and noses and earses and so on. My favorite theologian Calvin made this mistake in this cartoon. Oh, you thought it was that Calvin. I mean this Calvin. He's standing there in his underwear before the mirror and he says, made in God's own image, yes sir. And Hobbes says, God must have a goofy sense of humor. That's not what Genesis 1 is saying. 
Jesus says in John chapter 4 that God is fundamentally spirit. And therefore the resemblance here in the image of God in humanity is not physical. And number two, the image of God is not Godhood itself. It doesn't say that God made little gods. It doesn't say that we're exact replicas of God, gods in our own right. We are in the image of God in His likeness. We're not exact copies, but we are like Him. It's God-likeness, not Godhood. You see the difference? God-likeness, not Godhood. And along with that, it doesn't mean that we're on our way to becoming gods. Some religions teach that. That's not what Christianity teaches. God-likeness, but not Godhood. Both of the words used in verse 26, image and likeness, refer to something that is similar but not identical to the thing it represents. God didn't make gods. He made God reflectors. Anyone who tells you, you are a god, is not a Christian and is not thinking biblically. In Genesis chapter 5, verse 3, it says that Adam had a son with these two words, in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. Now, that doesn't mean that, that Seth was Adam, right? It means that Seth was like Adam in some fundamental ways. In the same way, we are not God because we have the Imago Dei. We are like God, and we're made to reflect God's glory. And the third thing that it is not is completely lost in the fall. In Genesis chapter 3, sin will enter the world, and in its wake, the image of God goes through a traumatic transformation. It becomes deformed, debased, distorted, and defaced, but not erased. Defaced, but not erased. Maybe you can remember it that way. Defaced, but not erased. The image of God is defaced in fallen humanity, sinners like you and me, but not erased. It's still there, still active, still present in humanity. Defaced, but not erased. How do I know that? Genesis 9, verse 6 says we're still made in the image of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 7 says we're still in the image of God. James chapter 3, verse 9 says we're still made in the likeness of God. Though marred, hampered, and reduced in sinners, the image of God is not completely lost. It's present in each and every human being. From, from uh, Branda and Brigham uh, and, uh-oh, I said his name, sorry Brigham, to the oldest person here today, The Imago Dei is present, defaced, but not erased. Now, from what it's not, we begin to get an idea of exactly what the image of God is. Let me try to put it now in positive terms. Being made in the image of God describes our unique God-given ability, more than any other of God's creations, to be like God and to represent God. It describes our many inherent capacities to be like Him and to act like Him and to show Him to others. Let me, let me give it to you in a sentence. The Imago Dei, the image of God, is our capacity to be like God and represent God. It is our God-given capacity to be God-like. Not to be God, but to be like God. The image of God is our capacity to be like God and to represent Him to others. Now, we are like God in a whole lot of ways. Theologians have noted moral similarities. We have an inner sense of right and wrong that sets us apart from animals. We have a sense of fairness and justice 
something like God's. We don't always do what is fair and just or even want it, but we're able to sense it. No one likes it when their things are stolen. It's not right, we say. And we are spiritual beings. One writer notes there, there's an invisibility about us. We know that when we look in the mirror, we are only looking at the surface. We know there's a real us inside. Just as God is spirit, so are we. That means we have a spiritual life that enables us to relate to God as persons, to pray to and praise Him, and to hear Him speaking His words to us. See, the rest of creation doesn't. It doesn't matter how intelligent your dog is, you will never see him spend an hour in intercessory prayer for the health or salvation of a friend. There's also a mental likeness in us with God. We have an ability to reason and think logically and to learn. We can weigh options and wrestle with our conscience. We can think through abstract problems and make plans for the future. We can develop technology and use tools. Obviously, our knowledge and wisdom will never match the omniscience of God, not even close. But our ability to think reflects the intelligence of the Creator who made us. Of course, even as we say these things, we have to acknowledge that sin has tarnished that image of God. we've, We've become very adept at twisting morality. And ignoring the spiritual dimension of our lives, we've turned our mental abilities to shameful pursuits. But God's image in us is not erased completely. If you look closely, you can still see glimpses of His likeness. If you look around every once in a while, you'll see the Creator reflected in His people. We're like God in all these ways. And many more. We could go on. And we're called to represent God. 1 Corinthians 11.7 says that man is the image and glory of God. That means we are supposed to reflect His glory like a mirror. When God painted Adam into the masterpiece of Genesis 1, He was placing a representative ruler on earth of the ruler in heaven. An ambassador of glory. Just think a little bit about the God of Genesis 1. And you'll be amazed at the humans of Genesis 1, 26 and 27. This afternoon when you read Genesis 1, think as you're looking at, as you're reading that and you're seeing who God is as He creates, think... And I'm supposed to be a reflection of Him. I'm a little mirror. And the whole world is supposed to be filled with mirrors reflecting the glory of God. Ambassadors of the Almighty God. Miniature royal images of the King of glory. Small self-portraits of the sovereign dotted on the landscape of history. That's what we're supposed to be. Like God and representing God on earth. But Genesis 3 happened. We fell into sin, and an ugly black stain streaked across the self-portrait of God. The little mirrors of God continued to reflect a little of His glory, but they were shattered by the heaved rock of sin. You ever, you ever see a mirror, and you throw a rock at it? Psh, what happens to the image? It's distorted, right? Is the image still there? Yes, the image is still there, but it's distorted. Verse Verse 31 says that everything he made there was very good. The humans were very good, but now it wasn't very good any longer. It was depraved. And everyone here in this room not only has the Imago Dei, but has a deformed version of it, a a defaced version of it. Everyone here is a sinner, fallen short of reflecting the glory of God like we should. We were created to be so much more than we are. And that's some of the saddest news in all the world. But God got involved again. God immediately went on a rescue mission to restore His image in us. It's called redemption. 
In Genesis chapter 3, God promised a Redeemer. And that Redeemer is Jesus Christ, the person we're learning about in the Gospel of Matthew. Some of the best news in the world is that Jesus Christ is, catch this, the image of God that we were supposed to be. Right? He's an unbroken mirror. The person we're learning about in the Gospel of Matthew. What we in Adam and, and every day messed up, Christ does perfectly. Just last week when we were looking at the temptation, where Jesus passed the test in the wilderness, where we fell, where we failed, He did not. He passed the test. He imaged God perfectly. Listen to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Just a few verses ahead of what I read to you before we sang this morning. Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now, He's also God Himself because He's God the Son. But in His humanity, He is the perfect image of the invisible God. 2 Corinthians 4.4 says Christ is the image of God. And so that means if we are in Christ, then we have the image of God again. See, that's the gospel. That's the best news in all of the world. So let me give you five points of application this morning. I know this is a very different kind of sermon than you're used to to hearing at Lance Free Church. We don't normally focus on just one phrase like created in the image of God. But it's a really important concept, isn't it? Let's tease out five implications of this concept for us today. Number one, we should rejoice that Jesus Christ is the perfect image of God. The Bible says if anyone is in Christ, they are a what? New creation. A a Genesis 1 all over again, right? The old has gone, the new has come. If you're in Christ, then you have the perfect image of God again. His righteousness, His obedience, His glory is credited to your account before God. He is what you were supposed to be. And if you are in Him, God sees you as you should be. And that, my friends, is reason to rejoice. That's a reason to get up and sing on a Sunday morning. It's a reason to get up and sing every single day. You know, we have a, a, district, a, a church in our district called Icon Church. It's in Wadsworth, Ohio. And that's because the Greek word for image is icon. They are bringing this out in their very name. Whenever they explain the name of their church, they share the gospel. They say, we were made to be icons of God. But that icon has become defaced. Jesus is the perfect icon, the image of God. And if we are in Him, the image is restored. If that isn't a reason to rejoice, I don't know what is. We should rejoice that Christ is the perfect image of God. Second implication of the Imago Dei, we should allow God to restore His image in us as we become like Christ. So if you are a Christian, every day of your life, God is working on redeeming you. He redeemed you at the cross and He's redeeming you each each and every day. Listen to what Paul says is going on in our lives in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. We, that is believers, are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord. Theologians call that progressive sanctification. God is at work transforming us back into His likeness. So it's kind of like God is fixing the mirror, right? 
He's not just given you a perfect reflection that stands in front of it. That's what Christ has done. But he's also taking all the cracks and putting them back together one by one and piece by piece. And there'll be no seams. It'll be a perfectly healed mirror. Because Christ is the image of God, he's transforming us into Christ-likeness. Romans 8.29 For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to what? The likeness of his Son. So if you're a Christian, God wants to restore God-likeness in you. And He does it bit by bit, each and every day. And He desires your cooperation in that. He wants you to give in to His designs for you and for your character, for, your, for you and your heart, for you and your behavior. He wants to make you like Jesus. He wants to transform you. He wants to conform you to Christ. Question for you. Are you cooperating? Listen to Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. It describes the process of changing from the old you to the new you. It says, you have, been, you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. More like Jesus every day. The image of God restored in us in Christ-likeness. We should allow God to restore us into his image as we become like Christ. What is the Lord trying to do right now in your life? Like if, if, you, were, if you were in a safe situation and, and your Christian friend said, so what's the Lord doing in your life right now? What is he, how is he changing you? What would be your honest answer to that? What, what has he put his finger on recently and said, you know what, this doesn't look like Jesus. It's got to change. What is that for you? He's conforming you to Christ-likeness, which is God-likeness. Let Him. Because one day soon His redeeming work will be done. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells us that on resurrection day, just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, Adam, so we shall bear the likeness of the man from heaven, Jesus. Perfectly without blemish, spot, or wrinkle. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 says, we know that when that happens, no, we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. That very good of verse 31 will be perfectly restored once more. And therefore, John goes on to say, everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as Christ is pure. Remember at the, at the baptism? We studied a couple weeks ago, Jesus' baptism. What did God say about him? This is my son. With him I am well pleased. When the Father looks at you because you are in Christ, he says the same about you. I am well pleased. And now he's at work conforming you to that image so that it's not just legal standing, but you are actually changed to be like Christ. Number three, the imago Dei means that we should do what God does. God is after our hearts to make our hearts like His, but that's going to change the way we act. We should more and more act like God. Doing the kinds of things God does. Imaging Him. Representing Him in the world. Fulfilling in many ways our original marching orders. For Adam and Eve, it was Genesis 1.28, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. For us today, 
It's Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Be imitators of God as dearly loved children and live a life of love. Imitate God. Do the kinds of things God would do if, if He were in your situation, if He were in your skin. What would God do in the situation you're facing right now? I don't know what situations you're facing right now, but if it was God in that place, what would He do? Do that. It might not be fun at first, but it would be right and it will yield good fruit. The image of God means that right now we should do what God does, what we see God doing. And one of those things that God would do is number four. The Imago Dei means that we should value and respect and protect human life. That's what Karen was telling us this morning. This is why people matter. Because the image of God. The image of God in every single person gives them dignity and value. Every life is precious because God's image is stamped on each person. We are inherently valuable because we are made in God's likeness. Humans, unborn or born, aged or young, disabled or completely healthy, are valuable. We're not disposable. We're not just pieces of matter conveniently or inconveniently assembled together into bodies. We're wonderful creations of a wondrous creator with his own image indelibly engraved on each one of us. In the ancient Near Eastern culture in which Genesis was written, other people groups also believed in men being made in the image of God. But only the kings. The king was seen as a representation, an image, often using this word, of the God of that people. But only the king. If you said, who is in the image of God? Everybody would say, the king is in the image of God. In Genesis, however... Every person has the image of God. Every person is a likeness of the Creator. No matter how tiny, all human beings are meant to be royal. That's a reason to value and to protect human life. When a woman has an abortion, she's damaging the Mona Lisa of God. The image of God in every person means we should value and protect human life. And that goes for more than just the littlest humans. It goes for everybody. This last week, our nation recognized Martin Luther King Jr. Day. It's been 50 years since he was killed. And our nation has made some major strides in racial harmony over the last 50 years. But we're not there yet. Dr. King's dream has not yet become a reality. And it's easy to point fingers and lay blame to say whose fault that is. There's plenty of fault to go around. But it's harder to look inside of ourselves and to ask what we've been doing to improve things. Personally, I've been doing a lot more reading on racial reconciliation and on compassion and justice. I'm thankful that our upcoming EFCA Theology Conference is on that very subject, and I'm looking forward to learning more and growing in this area and doing my part to see true healing between the races And not just black and white, but also red and brown and yellow, because all are precious in His sight, like we just sang. Because all have the image of God. That's why people matter. We should value and protect and respect other people. 
James chapter 3, verse 9 says, With our words we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. There's that word again. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Do you see how that disrespects the image of God? You see how seriously God takes this? What have you said about other people this week? How have you treated them? What have you said on Facebook? What kinds of words have you used about other beings that are made in the image of God? The image of God in every person means that we should value and respect and protect others. And number five and last, we should give ourselves to God because we belong to Him. Here's a coin. One day a group of Pharisees tried to lay a trap for Jesus. I'm sure you've read about it in the Gospels. They came to Jesus with a trick question, hoping to either get His popularity to drain with those who hated the Romans or to get Him in trouble with the Romans. They asked Him, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Well, Jesus loves trick questions because He always answers them, often with a trick question right back at you. He says, okay, so show me a coin that's used for paying the tax. Okay, they brought him a denarius and he asked them, so whose portrait is this? Tell me whose picture is that? You know what word he uses for picture? Icon. Whose likeness is that? Whose whose image is that? And they said, Caesar's. He said to them, okay, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. What is Caesar's? Well, the money with Caesar's image on it, apparently. But what is God's? The people with God's image on them. Give yourself to God. So often we say, it's my life, I'll do with it what I want. But that's wrong. It's His life. And we should give it to Him. If you've been holding back from God, stop today. Give yourself fully over to Him. Because He wants not just you in creation but to own you in redemption. He wants to return you to His image, conforming you to Christ. Give in today. Turn yourself over to God. Give to God what is God's because you belong to Him. You know how I know? You're stamped with His image.